0: Welcome to another episode of First Impressions, the podcast where we talk about our love for Jane Austen and give a big metal finger to all the haters. I'm Kristen. Um, I am not joined today by Maggie, who is taking this month off because she is absolutely buried with very exciting wedding tasks. Instead, I am really excited to welcome special guest
1: Lona Manning to the podcast. Hi, Lona. Oh, hi, Kristen. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, I'm so excited to have you. I'm really um, jazzed to talk about what we're going to be discussing this week, which is the world of Jane Austen fanfic. So for those who may not recognize the name, we've mentioned Lona a couple times before. She's an early fan of the podcast. She is also an author of a variation on Mansfield Park. And I think it's that's, it's factual to say it's Jane Austen fan fiction, right? That's the label you appear under.
1: That's right. Yeah. I have. And no it's not offensive. It okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm a fan.
0: <laughs> you know, Alona got in touch with us and said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a longtime listener. I wrote this book. If you're interested, I'll give you a copy. And I was super intrigued, first of all, because it's Mansfield Park. And that's not one that gets a lot of love. But secondly, I was just really excited to uh, to read what a listener, you know, their take on Austin was. And I read it. Uh, the first book in the series is called A Contrary Wind. It's actually really fascinating the way you started it, Lona. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the beginning of the book and how it fits into Mansfield Park?
1: Well, for anyone who's read Mansfield Park, you'll remember the horrible aunt, Mrs. Norris, who's a great fictional villain and... The cat in Harry Potter was named after her. And she's miserable to Fanny. She makes Fanny the Cinderella of the household. And there's one point in in Mansfield Park where Mrs. Norris really cruelly reminds Fanny in front of her cousins that Fanny is the poor orphan, or not orphan, the poor relative who's been taken into the household. And she says, considering who and what she is, she should oblige her cousins it's a shocking thing to say. And so that was a, in, in the book, you know, Fanny just takes it. But in my variation, Fanny is is so hurt that she starts thinking about leaving Mansfield Park.
0: And it's so understandable too, especially Fanny has this streak of not wanting to be a burden, right? Mm-hmm. So in your in your narrative, when she hears this, and then she hears something later about Mrs. Norris, which is a new part that. Was written where Mrs. Norris says, "Oh, Sir Thomas is having financial financial troubles, and now he has this burden of Fanny." And she says this very audibly, and you know, in one of those audible whispers. And Fanny is right there, so she sort of thinks, "I'm no, not going to be a burden any longer." And even though some people might think of Fanny leaving Mansfield Park and doing what she does next uh, is out of character, I thought it was totally realistic, and it's so clever because what she decides to do is To become a governess.
1: One of her few options, you know. Yeah, right. Be, she's got a good education. So, like Jane Fairfax, that's something she could do.
0: Yeah. And tell us about the parallel you wrote oh, in right, to, right. To, make, <laughs> to make everybody know exactly what yeah. you're going for.
1: Not so coincidentally, uh, Fanny is taken, uh, is hired by a Mrs. Smallridge who lives outside of Bristol. So Emma fans will recognize that name and the connection to, of course, the Sucklings and uh, Mrs. Elton.
0: The family that Jane Fairfax was going to go to before her conflict was resolved with Frank Churchill. And I have to say, uh, Lona, that I was I was enjoying the writing before I got to that detail. But that detail sucked me in so good like i was just enraptured i was like i got to see where she's going with this because it showed me that you had a deep understanding of all the novels and you know how they were all thematically related how the characters sort of had these parallels and i was like i have to know where she's going with this and the other thing that you did in a far far better more talented Way than Seth Graham Smith did in *Pride and Prejudice* and zombies, oh. where he took the uh, he took the public domain text of *Pride and Prejudice* and just inserted passages about zombies, zombies. <laughs> entertaining, right? But uh, you know, not necessarily the most intellectual endeavor. You were able to take the language from Mansfield Park and, when it is appropriate, pulling in a few sentences from the original novel. Well, you're going off your story in a different direction, if somebody is mentioned or something is mentioned like the curtains and the green bays, you pull those lines in and it blends so seamlessly.
1: Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say that only someone like you, Kristen, who's read Mansfield Park so many times would maybe be reading along and go, okay, that's from Austin. you like, I think you picked up on every borrowing and I sort of thought of them as like little Easter eggs, right? hidden throughout the book, the odd time that I'm bringing in a line, sometimes out of context and, and putting it in the book and going, I wonder how many people will recognize what where that's from.
0: That's the exciting thing about it because it's blended so deftly and so seamlessly. I was just absolutely sucked in because you made your world so close to Austin's world. And uh, the other thing that everybody who writes a review of Lona's work says is, absolutely how deaf she is with Austin language which you, <laughs> yeah of course of course but but actually that's one of the things that I wanted to ask you about I mean when we live and exist today we have all kinds of phrases in our vocabulary like are you okay or what's up that comes so <laughs> naturally to us how do you recognize what phrases are not uh, not historically accurate
1: yeah, well, what if, what if you're reading, um, you know, a, a variation at Netherfield and Lydia says, "What an awesome ball!" Would would you notice that something's wrong? That she's yeah. she's using. Not only do we have different words, there are words that we that were used differently back then, like confusion, nice, you know, yeah, and words that didn't exist. Mostly, I. You know, I'm. I'm. Uh, I've read a lot over the years. I've read a lot of literature from that period, and Samuel Johnson and the people that Jane Austen read, and so I do have a, a pretty good ear for the vocabulary. That's one thing. But when I'm not sure, there are some online tools that I use, so I can check.
0: It's so great, and I think it probably too. The language is so baked into us now, like. I was reading A Contrary Wind again, and I noticed that you had a line in there like, well, her, her own conduct could ill bear scrutiny, which I believe is a line from Persuasion when Anne is advising Benick on, on what poetry not to read. But I, I think the language is so baked into us that it's easy to reach out and have those phrases. You know, Mm -hmm. so you don't, you don't have to worry so much. If it's actually in Austin's words, you don't have to worry so much.
1: (laughs) It's it's an all engraved. Yeah. We've, we've read, we've read Austin so much that, yeah. uh, The the cadence of her language, for example, the tendency to say things in a negative form, like I hope you will not be displeased Mm -hmm. with this Mm -hmm. news where we would say, I hope that you'll be pleased with this. Uh, You know, there are certain tricks of the, of, uh, writing in those days certain habits, not just Austen, but other writers of the same period as well. Uh, they wrote that way. So when, when you start paying attention to that, then you can hopefully replicate it with some authenticity. Before I
0: get too far ahead of myself, I actually just want to ask you like how this came about. Were mm. you just said, drinking tea one day and a light bulb came on over your head? or? Mm.
1: I was wishing I could write a Jane Austen variation for a long time. Um, and of course, I thought of the maybe doing the Watsons, you know, one, or one of the, the unfinished fragment, and I just never did it. And then uh, there I was, uh, what approaching sixty, living in China, working as an English teacher, and I reread Mansfield Park for the umpteenth time, and I was thinking about Fanny Price, the great Fanny Price debate. What's, what is it with Fanny Price that she's you know unsatisfactory? as a heroine. And I just thought about her her qualities. And I thought, what if we just tweaked her just a little bit? And then, boom, this book started writing itself in my head. And I was like, no, I don't have time for this. I'm teaching. I'm doing lesson planning. I, I just don't have time to be writing a book. But the book would not go away. I've never had an experience like that in my life of the, uh, the urge to write being so strong. And the the people, the characters talking in my head. So I finally gave in and started writing it. It was completely unplanned, completely.
0: And your husband and all your friends and family, they were totally gung-ho behind this.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> uh, like, to, to any aspiring uh, self-published writers out there, you know, don't always expect other people <laughs> to be interested <laughs> in what you're doing. Okay. You know, like just just make that your default position and then you won't be disappointed. But no, wait,
0: but uh, what, ha- what happens to you is you're so excited, it consumes your whole being. And then you've got to talk about it. And these people are in your life and you're like, oh my gosh, I gotta to talk to you about this trans- transformative thing that's taken over my mind, right? Yes.
1: <laughs> as long as you're happy, honey. <laughs> Or like my husband is like, okay, honey, to read this book, you know, you really need to read Mansfield Park first, and you know that was asking a lot, but he he did it. He hasn't read my second book yet, but he uh, he did he did read my book. And my my son has been great. He lets me workshop ideas off him. You're like, Joe, what do mm. you think about this? You know, mm. so it's it's just don't expect it from everybody, and it might be of you know you might be disappointed by your best friend, and then you might. Be really surprised and amazed by the love and support from a casual acquaintance. But (laughs) just don't expect it. Don't make it a condition of your friendship.
0: Well, um, for those of you who don't know, and actually I think I've only mentioned this once on the podcast before, but this exact same thing happened to me where I was minding my own business and then a book happened to me and I had to write it. And I wrote the first uh, draft in six weeks because it was just that intense for me. But yeah, so I've I've gone through the sort of the same thing. So I just love the fact that that you were you're channeling the universe saying you have to write this story. And it's a variation on Mansfield Park. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I absolutely love it. But you were thinking maybe getting published because you had found out by the the time you had finished that there were publishers who just do Jane Austen fanfic, if I'm not mistaken,
1: right? I I've, I learned that there was a Jane Austen community. I had no idea there was so much fanfic out there. But before we get into that, can I just say to your listeners, guys, uh, Kristen's book is called Goddess, and it's written under the pen name of Callista Hunter. And you want to, while you're listening, hop onto Amazon and download it because it's a fantastic book. It's a young adult book, and it's set in a Greco-Roman I forget it's mostly Greek Roman imaginary world an alternate world and one of the things that the Greeks believed in was the concept of the muses and if anyone doesn't know about the muse it's the idea that these goddesses would come down from the heavens and inspire the artist like you get an idea that comes from nowhere and the Greeks explained that by calling it the muse descends the muse comes down and I'm telling you, you know, it's a fantastic experience when it happens, uh, when, the, when boom, you get this inspiration. And I wouldn't trade that feeling for anything.
0: It, it's a It's a wild ride. And there are certainly moments of like, oh my God, I can't believe I did this. For me specifically, it was thinking about querying agents and putting the work out into the world. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you're faced with a lot of like Uh, like rejection, essentially, you know, like, I didn't do that very long. I sent out a couple queries. And then I was like, you know what, I don't have to do no one's making me do this. I don't have to do this. I did this for fun. So I just popped mine as a self published book up on Amazon, which is really easy to do. And so if you're if you're a listener thinking, man, I really want to try and write that novel that I've been thinking about forever. I can't strongly endorse this enough. It's so much fun. Like it's so much, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so cool. It's so much fun. But yeah, no, I, I was aware that there was a Jane Austen fanfic community because my in-laws and, um, you know, my mom and, and everybody who kind of vaguely know who Jane Austen is, they knew I was a big Jane Austen fan and they would go into these bookstores and come across like, a piece of published Jane Austen fanfic in a bookstore. And they would see it and think, oh, a new book about Jane Austen? Kristen's got to have this. Without, <laughs> realizing, <laughs> without realizing there are like thousands of them now. Um, and you can, there are so many, because, but the novelty of it just saying Jane Austen. And that's the brand, that's part of the branding, right? Like now it's a touchstone that we all kind of have an idea of what it's going to be like. Regency, okay, and I'm going to pick up whatever book and it's branded Jane Austen. Like they could be stories about some minor... Jane character oh right? it's
1: amazing I had no idea I had no idea when I started writing that the that there was so much fan fiction out there um that the, the, there was such a big community and it's great it makes it easier to get the word out if you've written a Jane Austen inspired book you know there are the great blogs uh you know and uh, to uh, tell about it and that they're great about spreading the word and there's Facebook groups and and all these ways to get it out But the other thing that I didn't know and didn't think about is that Mansfield Park (laughs) is not Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) Um, You know, I I don't know what percentage of Jaff is about Darcy and Elizabeth, but wouldn't you say at least 90%, if not more? Oh, sure. So, yeah, I I wasn't writing this when when it started. I wasn't saying, I'm going to write this and it's just going to be huge. Everyone's going to want to read about Fanny Price. You know, I was just writing it because the book was writing in my head. But yes, Jaff is mostly about the this immortal, eternal couple, Darcy and Elizabeth, and, and uh, people find, you know, all sorts of ways to celebrate that couple, whether Darcy's a pirate, or the story's in the present time, or there's dragons, or there's time traveling, and, you know, just all sorts of amazing variations. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and it's true. And it, uh, there have been modern authors. Wasn't there something like the Jane Austen project where modern authors picked a book and that's where um, Eligible came from. The person oh. wrote that book, Eligible. I don't know if I can never remember authors' names.
1: But yeah, there's, there's so many ways to tell Benfield, something like that.
0: Yes, that's right. Um, and I think uh, to, to derail for a second... I think it's fascinating that even though I think Persuasion gets props for being the most romantic of the Austen novels, that Darcy and Elizabeth are the main focus of Jaff. And I think that that that, I think that boys my point up about Persuasion, the the couple not being as compelling as we all want to know what happens with Darcy and Elizabeth after they get married. We want to be with them. That's the power of that couple.
1: Yeah, and, and, uh, you know, the interest extends to every other one of the Bennett girls, what happens with them, (laughs) you know, down to Kitty. So, (laughs) and uh, I don't know, and and also um, the nasty freckled little thing that, uh, what's her name now, Miss? Mary King. Oh, Mary King. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure someone's written a book about her. You know, what happened to her after she got jilted. You know, every, every every minor character, you know? But this um, is
0: the same thing with the Star Wars extended universe. It's mm-hmm. like once you're in the universe and you're enchanted by everything about it, then you're ready to hear more stories. And that's the need that it fills, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And um, that modern, uh, another thing about the, the label, Jaff, that modern series that you mentioned that's got eligible. And right now, I they, I think they've done they haven't done Mansfield Park, I do believe. <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, I sent a few letters to agents, too, and, and got nowhere. And number one, I'm, I'm crap at writing query letters.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But also, if they knew anything about Mansfield Park, they would know, well, we're not going to sell many of these books. because <laughs> Nobody likes Fanny Price. So I thought, I'm, I'm not going to waste my time. And Every time I got a, a rejection, they were always very polite. You know, oh, yeah. it didn't really make me feel bad. I would just laugh like my evil villain laugh, like "Ah, <laughs> you fools, you fools!" You know? And then I just, you know, yeah, published myself. And then about a year after I published, I'd made a little money, and so I hired, you know, for an, a nice, professionally designed cover. You know, and I'm I'm fine with it. I'm I'm you know fine that I'm not. Uh, well,
0: it really launched. I I would say that you have a career. Um, because now, now you've also been, it, you're into the community enough that you've made connections, you've forged friendships, and you're, you've been in two anthologies, short story anthologies as well.
1: Oh, that was really an honor to be invited to join uh, all these established uh, Jaff writers, established, successful Darcy and Elizabeth writing <laughs> Jaff authors, uh, to join the anthologies. Uh, they're put together by Christina Angel Boyd. Very professionally uh, produced. We also had a lot of fun last November, quickly, very quickly put together an anthology that's a fundraiser for Chawton House. Uh, so I'm really proud and uh, very honored to be a part of that. That
0: one's called Yuletide?
1: Yes, it is. And it's going to be, uh, you know, every year. We hope we'll sell some more at Christmas time, and all the proceeds will go to Chawton House, which your listeners may know is the former home of Jane Austen's wealthy brother and is now the Center for the Study of Early Women Writers. So we're all really pleased to support such a great cause.
0: And there were, you wrote, your first short story was in Rogues and Rakes, Rakes and Rogues, Rogues and Rakes. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. I got to write a short story about Tom Bertram, um, the older brother, as you say, minor character from <laughs> Mansfield Park that nobody remembers or knows about, but which is great because his character in Mansfield Park actually undergoes a crisis. So I was able to take that crisis and dovetail it into my story.
0: There are so many ways that you can dig into the inner lives of some of these, even even the the side characters. Your um, The third anthology is Rational Creatures,
1: mm-hmm. which... The, the second for me, anyway, uh, Christina uh, Boyd, she's done three anthologies and I'm in two of them, yeah.
0: So Rational Creatures, the idea was that the stories are about women in Jane Austen's books who are rational. <laughs> I don't know, I guess that's the way to... It's high, highlighting the, the intelligence of Austen's women. And you actually did something that I think probably not a lot of people would have expect expected... Which is that you wrote about Mrs. Clay in Persuasion?
1: I did, and oh, and the title "Rational Creatures." Devoted Janeites will recognize that little phrase. I think I believe she uses it at least twice, and uh, you can, you know, uh, the the two spots where she uses it. Maybe on your Facebook page, the listeners will tell you (laughs) the two places where Jane Austen uses the the phrase, where her characters use the phrase "rational creatures." Yeah, I asked Christina if I could do uh, Penelope Clay from Persuasion, the gold digger. And uh, she was kind of surprised and taken back. She didn't, maybe, maybe Mrs. Clay's not very sympathetic, but uh, I had, you know, a a sort of a different take on her. So, uh, and she said, yeah, okay, give it a try. And yeah, so I wrote a story from Persuasion from Mrs. Clay's point of view. It's only rational for Penelope to want to make the best marriage she can. (laughs) Right?
0: I was saying, and Austin, <laughs> that's the whole point. Everybody is forced to make the best marriage they can while being told not to be mercenary. And Mrs. Clay is just another one of those women struggling within that system to just sort of to see that take on it.
1: And it was, it's totally delightful. Oh, um, thank you. I had fun writing it.
0: <laughs> but I wanted to ask you also. So now that you write Jane Austen fan fiction, you also read Jane Austen fan fiction.
1: I, I, I do but I've had to like back off a little bit uh, and I, I saw another author say that too that you get so terrified of you know what if I do a plot twist that some other really well-known author has done or what if I um, read something and I'm influenced by it so like there's a fear of reading other people's work that you mm-hmm. might uh, unconsciously uh, copy it or 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 something so I've got a a kindle full of things i mean to read um, there's there's some writers uh some writers i admire ali cruel and in england she's written a a trilogy called uh you know based on um the characters from emma and she's i think also a, a very good uh has a really good command of austin-esque language and because i'm not just reading it for the romance Right. Yeah. It's you know? it's
0: about the whole world. It's about it's you know why all the, these guys are buying Star Wars. It's extended universe. It's it's about the whole world, absolutely. But you know one of the things that I enjoyed so much um, and continue to enjoy about your Lona has a, t- a Twitter account. If you'd like to follow her on Twitter, it is I think it's at Lona Manning. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Imaginative. And, yeah. And um, we both I'm on Twitter, too. And uh, what's funny is I wrote a YA fantasy fiction novel, but um, because that happened to me, as I said, I was I was just attacked by it. Wow. But, so I so I got I got this Twitter handle for Calista Hunter. That's my pen name. And I, this was back when I was thinking, oh, I'm going to market my work. You know, I'm going to you know, be this good author who's trying to be like the self-published author and market so that people actually read it. But once I was on Twitter, I had trouble engaging with like the fantasy community because I really just want to talk about Jane Austen. Because <laughs> <laughs> So I have a very mixed brand. I had to say like I've mashed the two together in a way that is not monetizable in any fashion. But what I was going to say is I got on Twitter and I think I think it was a tweet. I think it was one of the first tweets I ever saw you make was you had searched, uh, I think in Project Gutenberg or some website where you could search the entire text of Jane Austen's works, you had searched for the word mayhap. Yes, mayhap. And, it, <laughs> and, yes. You, and the, you took a screenshot and it showed zero results. Yeah, Jane Austen
1: never used this word.
0: You, you, you posted <laughs> it and you said, brought to you by the committee for stamping out mayhap in, uh, in <laughs> historical fiction.
1: <laughs> I was
0: hysterical. <laughs> because honestly, it's always bugged me too, and that's why I could um, I I have a lot of trouble picking up Jane Austen fan fiction because those little things I'm very bad about those little things grating on me and just being distracting. And I think you had were mentioning you have sort of the same problem sometimes.
1: Mm, yeah, and and I suppose I want to distinguish between. You know, if you decide to write a variation where, you know, it's in set in modern times or it has dragons or it's time travel, I think that's great, you know. But if you're trying to be authentic and, the, and you're trying your very best to sound Regency, but you've got Darcy hopping on a train uh, to go to London or, or if you have a character walking out into the streets of London and, and ha- hailing a carriage and saying, take me to Brighton no you know, <laughs> no it doesn't work that way you know and and maybe that makes me a snob you know maybe no. that makes me uh, like a like a, a grammar nazi snob but um a lot of yeah, people
0: feel that way about their historical fiction
1: though yeah anachronisms do leap out at me the, the ones that i'm aware of and and therefore one lives in a bit of fear of of <laughs> unconsciously for example in an earlier draft of my second book, you know, I've got, they hear the chimes of Big Ben and then it does occur to me to say to myself, no. So when was Big Ben built? <laughs> Google it. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> Out goes Big Ben. There is no, you know, and, and thanks to some of the other Jaff authors who, I don't know where they find the time and the energy. God love them. You know, they'll post these great informative articles on their blogs you know, about the wedding regulations for getting married. That helped me make, you know, from a big mistake and, you know, an error in my book, explaining the difference between a curate and a victor and a rector. Uh, mm-hmm. There's all, all just all this great resources from fellow authors.
0: And now the, the the marriage thing was about the special license, right?
1: Yeah, special license. Yeah, there were three, you know, special license and extra, extra special license. <laughs> so yeah, I, I realized that, that my my couple couldn't get married on the spur of the moment. It was it's just not not possible. So I had to change my ending a little bit. And it, it was for the better, too. So, you know, that's great. Um, especially uh if you're trying to meld real history into your book, you know, you've got to bend the bend your story to to fit the book. But you mm-hmm. I was just gonna say I really admire In your world, the world of your book, you've got all the, you've got the Roman gods and goddesses, you've got the Vestal Virgins, you have all the research, but it's an alternate world. So it's a totally believable society and city and and country just set somewhere. (laughs) I just think it works so well.
0: Thank you so much. And I'll tell you why. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you exactly why I did this. Where I, um, it's because I, I had to write a YA fantasy novel because it hit me, but I'm not a writer of fantasy. To be a good writer of fantasy, you have to know how to world build. And I didn't, right? So I just took all of the parts of ancient Roman history that I thought were interesting or liked and pulled them into a fantasy realm where anything could happen. So if I want it to be a clipboard or a shopping bag or whatever, (laughs) silly historical detail, I don't have to worry about it. I was, I think I was uh, working full time. I might've been going to school for part of this time. And I was like, I don't, I know if I actually try to do research and make, write a real historical fiction novel about Rome, it would take, I would have to get like a degree. You know, the amount of research you have to do in Roman daily life, it would take so much. And I just knew I was going to do it badly. And mm. so this world building was done for me. And I was, you know, able to go on Wikipedia. Now, I just use Google and Wikipedia and I have no problem admitting that. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a librarian. <laughs>
1: yes, you're a
0: librarian. <laughs> but the, the world of uh, Jane Austen fan fiction, you mentioned the blogs, which is something I didn't even think of, but it's true all of these bloggers are coming out. Maggie and I back in 2015 couldn't find many other podcasts Mm. that mentioned Austin, but even then there were big name blogs. I mean like big name blogs. And then there, it sounds like there's a whole lot of um, other authors as well who are doing blogs and you have a blog
1: I do but it's very dormant I don't post very often I I just I always mean to but that's the trouble with starting a blog the energy of keeping it up so (laughs) but yeah I do I do have a website and once in a blue moon I'll I'll blog something like like the time I got really head up about that that book uh, oh, of geez. Jane Austen, scholarly <laughs> criticism that I violently disagreed with. And, <laughs> and then I had to write four long blog posts about it. So I
0: woke up to an email. I think I was, I woke up to it. I was in bed. I checked my phone and there was an email from Lona and it said, uh, read this blog post and tell me what you think. because um, <laughs> I'm, I'm head up and it was this <laughs> amazing post analyzing point by point in the most logical fashion the thesis, the yes.
1: hypothesis of a well publicized book of austin uh is it the right word criticism scholarship you know a yeah, book about jane austen's writing
0: that right. came out
1: to much acclaim recently yeah and that uh-huh. i feel compelled to beat like a pinata <laughs> yes but i'm off topic here but i want to ask you why did you choose a, a pin name instead of Uh, publishing under your name
0: oh man at the time goddess the book happened to me I was working with a lot of engineers and I had a professional reputation as a blogger in my profession oh yeah I was I was writing for a living uh in my profession and I was very afraid that people I worked with would find out that I did this and it's a YA I mean it is very much young adult fiction, and it's about goddesses. So like, I just didn't feel it was on brand for my professional life. Okay. And then then I felt I had to hide away. And Mm. so I wanted to give myself plausible deniability. But I'll tell you what happened. Uh, One of the things that was really validating, because as an author, half of the time you read your work and you're like, I love this book. It's the best book ever. And then half of the time you read your work and you're like, I want to die, right? I can't believe
1: I've... I've read this paragraph a thousand times and I missed how leaden this is or how I've repeated this word or, Oh my God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes if you're just not in the mood to read and you come back to your work, you're like, Oh, I can't stand this. So the thing is when, when people say they like your work, if they're connected to you in any way, even if they are a friend or whoever, if they're, if you feel in any way that they feel like they have to be nice, you can't take their praise at full face value, because you are criticizing yourself the back of their mind. Like, well, they probably felt like they had to say that. They're right? just being nice. But once <laughs> I started to get, yeah, they're just being nice. I, I did start to distribute my book along these channels where people could read. Um, and, you know, like, I, I'm i writing this review, in, or I got this book in exchange for an honest review. So you give away copies for your books for free to these communities. They come and they write a review. And if they don't like it, they're well, they're totally willing to say they don't like it. But even then, I wasn't able to take their words to face value. But then what happened was when Goddess first came out under my pen name, I didn't post it on my Facebook page. I didn't tell anybody on my personal social media accounts. But my sister did. She just posted the book without saying it was mine. She was saying, hey, I'm reading this book, Goddess, right? Mm -hmm. So my cousin, scrolling past it, goes, oh, that sounds like an interesting book, Mm -hmm. clicks on it, buys it, reads it. A uh, year or more, more than a year, two years later, I have an audiobook made of Goddess. Right. Yeah. And I'm finally, I'm like, I need to promote this on my personal account because I really want the gal who performed the audiobook to get money because you know, like she's doing this for royalties. So I finally came out of my personal Facebook page and said, Hey guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was so afraid, but I was so afraid, but I was like, oh hey guys, I wrote this thing you want to buy it, blah, blah. And my cousin saw it. And she was like, what? You wrote that book? She was like, I read that book. It was amazing. (laughs) And I was like, she could have just pretended that she didn't see the Facebook post. So I'm like, okay, finally, this coincidence has happened. And I can take uh, this comment at face value. Um, because it's just really hard. You, you really put yourself out there. You make yourself very vulnerable. And here I am on a podcast telling everybody to do it. Partially, is just because I want everybody to do it, to normalize it so that I don't have to feel so weird about it. Because what happens is um, this this thing happens to you where you you come into this community, mm-hmm. but then you can't really talk about it to your friends and family. Yeah. Or- <laughs> Like we were, we were talking about this earlier. Like I moved to Boise. I have new, new friends here. They're all great. And I didn't for a long time, me- you know, mention that I write, I'm still writing, I'm writing a sequel to the first book. And, you know, one day I was like, I'm going to come out with it. So someone asked me, what did you do? And I said, well, I, I worked on my novel and there was like dead, dead silence. Yeah. Yeah. And then they immediately changed the subject and I was like yeah. guys I was not going to ask you to I mean I was thinking in my head I was like I would never have asked you to read it I just want to buy a copy to buy, like, copy, <laughs> I mean, to buy ten
1: copies me. no I
0: just wanted
1: to share something about a hobby that I do, and it's well, not. They, they asked you, right? It's like yeah. did you That's go right. Over the holidays. It's right. worked on my novel, you know. Oh well, you know <laughs> that that story is almost like Austin, right? Like the nephew finds out words cannot express Aunt my surprise at discovering that you're the author <laughs> of this book that I really like. That's really yes. neat. There is something kind of delicious about you know having this secret life. Right, Like in I don't promote myself in my town. I, I don't go to the libraries and say, "Hey, you know, could I give a talk on Jane Austen at the library?" You know, all those little tips they give for self-published writers to get publicity. I don't promote myself much. It's all online, and I kind of like having a secret life that way.
0: If you really need this online, this massive group of people, as um, you know, because there's going to be a much smaller sample size that, like Austin, and then even a
1: little smaller that, like Mansfield Park. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta find those people. And 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 that's that's you know when I, I when I learned that you like I was listening to your podcast on Mansfield Park and that you love this you know i was actually googling the phrase you know i love mansfield park uh, you know <laughs> quotes <laughs> to find people who love mansfield park so that i like go uh, excuse me can i tell you about my book <laughs> you know did, I did a little bit of that yeah yeah <laughs> but we're kind out of, there <laughs> yeah the internet
0: brought Bad things to our lives, but they also connect <laughs> us to very esoteric communities, but that's kind of a, you know, you're listening to this podcast coming to you right now. We're about to hit 20,000 downloads, which whoa. is kind whoa, of whoa. mind blowing. I know for, for just two random folks who bought a mic and all of a sudden we have this community. So yeah, that online communities are, are just invaluable and you can be anonymous. You want to start writing. And just go on and hop into um, ink it, or um, scribed, or so many different places that you can have a membership and just post stories and get feedback, and then you give feedback to other people. Critiquing groups, you know, they mm. can really p- prop you up and give you some skills. And if you're if you're willing to hear the feedback, it uh, <laughs> can be really helpful. But it also can be
1: very hard. But it yeah. sounds like you've used some of those.
0: Yeah, I did. I have. And um, the first draft of the book, I mean, the book is is a freshman effort. It's the debut novel. But I had a massive, massive boost for, f- again, found a friend online completely across the country from me. Mm. We, we were trading chapters. We were going through. We both loved each other's book. And that was one of the most fruitful and productive and closest relationships I ever had in my life with somebody. Amen.
1: Yeah, Yeah, you meet you meet people and you've got suddenly you've got a writing buddy, someone that understands and is a cheerleader for you and you're you're cheering for them. It's it's great. Yeah. Yeah. But, But when I started when I was writing or when I published The first book, I didn't even know about beta readers. Like, there's so much I didn't know. Yeah,
0: Yeah, there's a whole process, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you go online and you make friends. Well, all of a sudden, all your friends are like, hey, guys, got an agent today. And you're like, oh, "Oh, God. (laughs) Happy for you. We're in different places on our journey. Yes, it's a journey. We're in different (laughs) destinations um yeah that, wanted, would, that would be nice <laughs> I wanted to ask you too because I brought this up and then I totally breezed past it really fast no you I had think said, I did I did too I, I'm all over them. I'm sorry I'm <laughs> kind of, I, this is how our podcasts always go with Maggie too I have a list of things I want to talk about and I'm so excited to talk about all of them and then I just jump randomly from <laughs> one to the other but um the tools that you used to actually do your historical research you mentioned there were some tools it, beyond Google and, Wikipedia and I know you mentioned blogs, but is there anything else that you were going to discuss?
1: Yeah, Google Books is a great resource um, because let's say if you're researching history, uh, there's all these books written at the time, which are available for free. So you can read a contemporary description of something or, you know, if, if I'm reading, say, a, a biography of, of Hannah Moore or, or, or Shelley, you know, Piercy Bush Shelley, it doesn't matter to me if it was written in 1880. It's free, it's well-written, and it's got the facts that I need. So uh, the Google Books is really my go-to place. Oh, for learning about the Navy, for example. I was really intimidated writing about sailing ships because um, you know, one, two of our characters get involved with the, uh, the West Africans' uh, anti-slaving squadron. And I thought, I don't know the first thing. I can't write yo-hee-ho, ahoy me stuff. <laughs> and sidebar here, you know that book Longbourn, yeah. which is one of those Jaff books which gets elevated to literature. It's not Jaff, it's literature. Yes. In that book, the, the character, he goes to Portsmouth, he sees the sea. Next paragraph, he's disembarking in Portugal. And I thought, you cheater, you lazy! <laughs> How about you just skip right over the being on board the ship and the voyage, you know? <laughs> hey, you're cheating! So, I had to pick up just enough. Uh, so, you know, I found like novels written about, you know, old old boys' own adventure novels written about it. Uh, this the, the West African Squadron and all this stuff is free because. Gosh, if you tried to buy every book that you wanted and I, and yeah, I was so lucky once there was a book I needed a, a recent history written about, uh, about it. And you know, Oh, do I want to spend 25 bucks for the hardcover? And then I went into this tiny, tiny little thrift store near my mom's place and looked down and there it is. Thank goodness. (laughs) And I got it for 50 cents, but yeah, the, the cost can mount up. So Google books, Searching Google Books. You had mentioned
0: um, interlibrary loan too Mm as something you had used in the past. Which is- As a librarian. As a librarian, let me make a quick plug because a lot of people do not know how Mm -hmm. many books they can get for free. Even if your library does not have it, you go in, you say, I want this book. And they're like, okay, we have this program interlibrary loan. We're going to try to get it for you for free. And I've had, for example, I, I needed- The last copy of a conference proceeding. It was the only one in the world. It was from UC San Diego, and I had it in my hands within a week. And I, I was like, the power of this. You know, libraries are still around for the. And it's true. It's like, it doesn't matter. It you know if it's a. (laughs) Well, I guess it matters to a certain degree. But if you you know when no matter when it was written. There are libraries that are holding this stuff that want to lend. That's our whole purpose. We want to lend. So yeah, don't, don't be shy about using the library resources too. But I think with that particular book you had mentioned, you said that your interlibrary loan couldn't get it though, right?
1: Yeah, it it was not that, you know, it wasn't a bestseller. It wasn't a, a widely available book. and But it was exactly on the topic that I needed to research. I'm so glad you mentioned how wonderful librarians are, Kristen. And <laughs> yeah, I'm really lucky my regional library system has access to the universities and and there's just about any book that I can get. Uh, plus I've also done <clears throat> book requests. you know, you go on the library website. we oh, yeah. should get a copy of this book. yeah, and that's yeah. worked for me quite a few times
0: too. they have money they have to spend. <laughs> and I, I was gonna ask you, um, when we we're talking about historical things you researched, you researched. For, for your sequel, sequel to A Contrary Wind. So A Contrary Wind is the first book. The second book uh, that Lona has also published um, is called A Marriage of Attachment. And um, there is a historical event th- that takes place in A Marriage of Attachment, which I don't think I'm spoiling anything because I don't think mm. this is like a really commonly known historical event. But <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like
1: an, it's an assassination <laughs> Do you want to talk a little yeah, about? Yeah, that? yeah. That I and I can't even remember why I decided when I decided to put it in the book. I guess I just thought, oh, that's interesting that a British prime minister was assassinated, and it just doesn't seem to certainly doesn't resonate in the British consciousness. Say the way JFK does in the American consciousness. Um, but yeah, a uh, during the Napoleonic Wars, a British uh, prime minister was shot. Right in the House of Commons by uh, a sem- you know, somewhat mentally ill, uh, angry businessman, and it all tied into the, the the economics of the time, and and the this prolonged war that had gone on for a generation. And so, uh, yeah, I just decided to to put that in there. <laughs> and, <laughs> it has, and it was, an it was
0: yeah, sorry. It's an important driver of the plot in a number of ways, and brings characters together. But then you also feel like more connected to the time. One of the things that I actually really appreciate about Jane Austen's books is that there are so many things that were so specific to the time that wound up not getting in there. Like nobody is taking snuff in her books. Mm. And I was like how was she, you know, how was she so forward thinking that she never mentions snuff? Nobody
1: says the tawn in her books.
0: Yes, nobody's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that would date you to Regency that's not in there. I just, I think it's so funny because I'm trying to get into Trollope now, Anthony Trollope, right? Like, oh, yeah. I I haven't picked up the books, but I've been watching the Pallisers, the the Mm -hmm. old uh, BBC on YouTube, and they're constantly talking about 19th century British electoral politics. (laughs) I I don't care.
1: So is that a lesson for us writers? A eh? be a little more timeless, like don't be so, don't put in don't a lot of contemporary references.
0: I don't know if it's a lesson for or against, yeah. but I do think it is something to interesting to look at and to talk about, and and there there are pros and cons to both approaches. Yeah. Now, in the third book of the series, are you also going to tie in a, a couple of historical events, or can you not say?
1: I yeah, uh, not so many much events as. Um, Percy Bush Shelley has taken over my mind and my <laughs> life. And, and and he, yeah, he is a character in the book. Uh, we will find ourselves in Italy where Percy Shelley is living with his wife, Mary Shelley. And Shelley was, could be economical with the truth sometimes, and he told his friends that there was this beautiful, rich society woman who threw herself at his feet and followed him all through Italy. And um nobody knows if this if this was true or if there really was a woman or if it's one hundred percent something he made up. So I've decided to use this mysterious woman uh in, in my third trilogy. But I've I've got a lot of, of plot holes to work <laughs> I've, I've got a lot of work to do before I get this done. And it might be taking the story off into some strange places, but they say, you know, write the book you want to read. So Yes.
0: Exactly.
1: Um ab- about research uh and, and, and exposition, Callista, yes. like another thing that bugs me if I'm reading historical fiction, and I love historical fiction. Is when the characters are are telling each other things, you know, like when, when the author wants to drop some information into the story, when, and it's done clumsily and awkwardly, like you you're so fantastic in your book, Goddess, where we learn about this, the elaborate hairstyles of the vestal virgins, but you make it part of the story, or or we're learning that one of their duties is to toast this grain, this special grain you make it part of the story you don't have someone standing there saying yes one of my duties you know (laughs) right by the way yeah it's just it's absolutely natural it's part of the part of the plot it it helps to turn the plot you know you find a way to drop your information that that you're telling about this world naturally in the plot and that is a real art and it's it's so often Like I say, if you find some groovy little fact that you can't wait to tell your readers about and you drop it in when it's not germane to the plot, right? Right, right. Exposition can be very awkward and there's a real art to it.
0: And then you're doing it for yourself because you think it's cool and not for your readers because they they are, they are, more you know, trying to move the story along. No, world building is actually really, really hard. So thank you very much for the compliment, because one of the one of the things about uh, fantasy or Regency or Jane Austen fan fiction is what you're doing as a writer is you really, I think, are the best writers writers I'm most attached to you're using the external, whatever it is. If it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there's vampires. If it's Jane Austen fan fiction, they're the, you know, social conventions of the time. You're using that to throw things at your characters. And the question you're really asking is, how would a person react? How would a human react faced (sighs) with faced with a vampire you're in love with, <laughs> you know, like, that's, and that's the great thing about fantasy is, uh, I mean, with real life, you're sort of limited in what you can do fantasy. You can cook up any old rule, you know, the, uh, Oh no, you can't cross this line because then the world will end, you know, like whatever you make the stakes and you tell us what they are, which is a little bit hard because you have to really convince us that the stakes are big, but you can make it whatever you want. And, um, the real question you're asking yourself all the time is, how would this character react? Because you're invested yes. in the character. You want to learn more about the character. That's how I write. And so anything that's taking me away from telling you something about how the character is thinking or feeling or you know worried about or whatever, anything that's taking me away from being able to do that, I try just to leave all that stuff out. And when you're doing research and you come across something cool, you, you know mm. there's a temptation. But they do say, they're like, when you're a historical fiction writer, less than 10% of your research actually goes into your book. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and and you can just spend hours and hours reading something and going, wow, this is taking <laughs> so long, so yeah. long to do. Yeah.
0: One of the things I badly want to ask, um, Devany Lozer, if I, oh. if I get a chance to run into her again, I just want to ask her, what's the coolest thing that you learned writing the making of Jane Austen that mm. you couldn't put in the book because it had nothing to do with Jane Austen, but you can't wait to talk about in any other
1: context.
0: Because mm-hmm. I think it would be great, fascinating to hear, I mean, working with all that primary source material, you you come across a lot of crazy stuff.
1: Yeah, she told some really interesting personal stories in that book, like the uh, the first uh, Jane Austen illustrator and, and his life story and and – Oh, the, the joy of research of going, how much sitting in my chair in my house, you know, can I scrape out of the internet? (laughs) Yeah. What leads can I, can I develop, you know, oh, for this, to this old journal, that's not available digitally. And, and, and I, you know, I love, yeah, I love the research chase. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I go way back, honey. I go back to microfilm. (laughs) And you're like sitting in front of the microfilm till you're dizzy and nauseous, you know. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if people who, who think research sounds incredibly boring and we're like, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we think it's fantastic. They're like, what? <laughs> you
0: know? It's just, you know, back in the 19th century, they used to go hunting and take their guns out and shoot at ducks we're hunters of a different kind. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're hunting in the digital realm and we're going to yeah. find it. You know, yeah. they say you're either a searcher or a finder, right? I'm...
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I yeah I'm, I'm so grateful for the internet. Yeah, uh, I wish it had existed when I was an at-home mother oh. because in those days I had to take the bus and go to the library.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, you would have been on Instagram. You would have been an influencer,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean, it, it's changed so much and it's just going to keep getting better like more and more stuff is going to be digitized like the yes. the you know the Chawton House Library isn't that amazing yes yes, yes. Uh, yeah the the they've digitized all these books that were on the shelves at Jane Austen's brother's house it's just astounding and, and anyone who wants to write Jeff I would really you know if you really are trying to emulate Jane Austen i you agree with me, I think, uh, Kristen, that you want to read some of her contemporaries too. Yes. Uh and, oh, yes, and realize yes, yes. she wasn't the only person who 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 wrote that way. And she was heavily influenced by Samuel Johnson, Dr. Johnson. Uh so you know, I think if you want to write uh, Johnson himself said if a man wants to write a book, he's got to turn over a, a whole library, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty much what you need to do.
0: And you, and by the way, you'll get so much insight into Austin, what was similar and what was different, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, even just reading, and I haven't read much, but I did um, read Evelina by Fanny Burney, and that was a revelation in the things that were the same and the things that were different. And I talked about it already in our, in our Northanger Abbey episode. So
1: I won't go into it again, but I, I just want to endorse what you've said, like, Absolutely and yeah the books are all free they're all available at project gutenberg so you know yeah. you can you can uh, re- uh, read some of the the contemporary the other i'd really recommend the female quixote oh,
0: if you're yeah. going to yeah
1: if you're going to read any book from that period not by austen
0: and yeah. she, lo- she loved the female Quixote right? Yes. She read it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. reading books that she loved is, is all about, you're all about. Um, and that's what Arnie Perlstein loves to do, by the way, is just find parallels between Austin's work and other contemporary authors. I learned so much from him as
1: well. Yeah. Um, she wasn't writing in a vacuum. Yeah. No. Although she was such a, such a great innovator and, You know, I would love it if if more people who, say, found Jane Austen through Colin Firth diving into the lake. You know, that's fantastic. But, you know, I want to tell you all about Jane Austen's wonderful language and her wonderful way that she developed characters and her use of free and direct narration and all all of the, the great how she was such an innovator as a writer. And that is, that's where it's at for me. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry. I am. I'm talking to a lady who founded a podcast for this very reason. <laughs> that's why I'm you're sorry. I'm sounding like no. a mansplainer or something. No,
0: you do <laughs> not. No, that's why you're here. That's why you're here. with your kindred spirits. But I, um, with regard to the free indirect style now remind everybody what that is.
1: Um, It is where the narrator is telling the story and talking about the character, but the the narration is filtered through the consciousness of the the character. There's a really good example in, in Mansfield Park where Fanny is sent away from Mansfield Park because she refuses to marry Henry Crawford. She's sent back to her vulgar, poor family in Portsmouth, right? And she's sitting there thinking about how wonderful Mansfield park was. It's, it's happy ways, you know, where everyone's feelings were consulted, where everybody was always so polite and it was like, we've just read all these chapters where she's treated so shabbily at Mansfield park and, <laughs> and where she's treated like dirt. And, and now the narrator is telling us, you know, how wonderful Mansfield park was. But so I want to, yeah, it's filtering it through, through what Fanny's thinking. Yeah. I want
0: to illustrate through this point Um, how you attempt to, you understand all these things about Austin, you attempt to educate others about them, but you are also able to use these same techniques in your writing. Is it okay with you if I read a passage of free indirect (laughs) narration that I highlighted? Really? (laughs) Oh, okay. And I think this is a good, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think this is a really good example because this passage is about, uh, so Mr. Rushworth. Um, in a contrary wind, does not get married to Mariah. Mm-hmm. And he is he's sent home from Mansfield. Um, they've they've yeah, Edmund has said, Mr. Rushworth, is not gonna get married to you. They put him in a carriage, they send him home to Southerton. And here is Lona's passage about this. Although Mariah's rejected suitor does not appear in this story again the reader may kindly wish to know that by the time he had reached the outskirts of Mansfield village, he was as angry as he had ever been in his life. By the time he crested Sandcroft Hill, he was wanting his breakfast very much indeed. And by the time he reached the long avenues leading to Southerton, he was reflecting that all things considered, he was tolerably relieved that he would not marry Miss Bertram. As for many months past, she had been cold and careless in her manner, rejecting even the touch of his hand and causing him to doubt whether she was of a truly amiable disposition. (laughs) (laughs) Poor (laughs) Mr. Rushworth. (laughs) I guess maybe that's too literal about what he's thinking and what he's Mm. saying, but I, I kind of just made the connection there. I'm like, especially that little twist at the end, causing him to doubt whether she was a particularly <laughs> amiable <in> disposition. <laughs> it's right, it gets right in his head, you know, yes, speaking yes. the way he would speak. And yes. that's the kind of thing I noticed. And the other the other thing I wanted to say too, is the hardest thing it, is, it can be for me as an author, where you need to put in a joke. You're like, here is a, a place where what would be good is if the character could say something funny.
1: Now Especially I like to something think, witty
0: or something funny. Something witty or okay. something funny, either one. Because yeah. I like to think sometimes wittiness happens in my writing naturally, but sometimes in the story, wittiness needs to happen, and I'm just I'm not being inspired, so I just put brackets and I say insert something witty here. <laughs> <laughs> because it's really hard to be witty on command. Yes. I want to I want to read something that you wrote that I found was really really witty in oh, a contrary thank you. wind. All right. So Mary Crawford is speaking to Edmund Bertram and they're just talking um, about random stuff, uh, travel books. And, and um, she says, Mary Crawford says, wouldn't you love to visit Paris, Mr. Bertram? The Bonaparte has stolen the birthright of every patriotic Englishman and woman. The right to return from Paris to disparage the place of our birth and to compare our food, fashions, and manners unfavorably with the French. It is monstrously unjust. This war seems (laughs) never-ending. But it is so true, right? Everybody wants to talk about how horrible English food is and how great French food is. (laughs) I just thought it was so cute.
1: Yeah, you were talking a little while ago of, of asking yourself as a writer, so what would my character, how would my character react and yeah, I think that that came up when I, so what would Mary say? Yeah, you know?
0: she's she's focused on <laughs> the totally superficial,
1: yeah. but yeah. In,
0: in a way that's charming and self-aware that she's being, you know, very superficial. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. that's very, very, very much Mary Crawford's brand. She says these things that are superficial, self-serving, but she's, she's just like charmingly aware that she's being that way and everybody
1: loves it. Yes, and, yeah. And a pretty woman can get away with that sort oh, of yes. thing. <laughs> yes. yes, yes, they can. So Thank it's you. like I had to um, make Mary Crawford a bit more sociopathic <laughs> in my books than she is in Mansfield Park to make people understand that she is not the heroine of Mansfield Park. <laughs> and so many people today think, well, you know, she's a, like she, her advice was good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's the matter? You know, just trying to understand. Well, yeah, but back then what she said was shocking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's even that, even
0: that is done in a way that makes her sympathetic all the way up to the point where then it turns and you're like, oh my God, she's a sociopath. But I was with her almost until the end. So yeah. If
1: there's an advantage in having met and known some sociopaths in one's own life too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, Remember yeah, like, was that. it Austin's brother or his nephew that swore up and down that Austin never took people from real life and put them in her books? And I'm saying be bullshit. Oh, yes, yeah. she, she must have. Or Absolutely. like, like little, little bits, you know, like. No author could really do, no author could
0: truly say, I've never taken anybody from real life and put them in my books.
1: Or, or some, some trait or some mannerism or some right. yeah, some way right. of behaving. Right. And it's another awesome thing about being a writer. <laughs> <laughs> but you can do that. You're going to be in my book, pal. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Or you're afraid somebody will recognize themselves uh, and be angry, which is sometimes I, I, I get a little bit afraid of that. The other thing is, I've been writing sex scenes in my latest novel, <laughs> and that, <laughs> there's nothing that makes me so nervous as the I'm thought so that conscious. somebody I know might actually read this sex scene. I don't know. They say, Anne, Anne Lamott um, wrote it this she wrote the book Bird by Bird, which, if you're interested in writing, get this book. By Anne Lamott. but one of her sayings is write like your parents are dead. <laughs> you really do. I mean, like, everybody's dead. And so you live with yourself. Like, yeah.
1: Yes. yes, or secure in the knowledge that your family is never gonna pick up your book. Right. Just go ahead and <laughs> put your aunt or your niece or your sister and your ex-sister-in-law into the book. <laughs> go right in. That's, that's, that's yeah, one of one of the pleasures. And <laughs> and the thing about asking the character, how would the character react? You ask the question and the answer comes like that is a thrill. Right yeah. when, when, and suddenly your your plot moves forward because you, it's your characters telling you what's going to happen. That's uh, really an amazing uh, uh, experience uh, for for writing.
0: It's real. It's a real thing. They can they are in control. Like you, know, <laughs> you think you're going to write them doing X, Y,
1: and Z, and they this <laughs> They refuse. All right. Did
0: we talk about everything we were gonna?
1: I reckon, cause yeah, I wanted to to yeah, it's exposition especially like, and um, I did offer uh, you know that maybe I could do up a little list of things that I like to to use like um like books and 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 I could maybe give it to you to p- put on your Facebook page when when the episode goes up. It'd be uh, I've just barely started it. Because I know it's <laughs> it's not going to happen right away, so I've been procrastinating. But understandable. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I I can I can send you a, a a list of books and some links and things. Um, if anyone else is interested in uh, you know, the how to research a book on the cheap. That would be <laughs> awesome. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you, Kristen.
0: Yeah, it's been great to talk to you. Um finally in person for finally to to see someone and talk to someone in person and you've corresponded with the, in a while is a real pleasure. So
1: we have I thought we'd have like more of the ice cubes in the background. Oh, and we actually <laughs> did. You know I I, um, I did make no, a drink before I sat down in the
0: glugging of glugging of wine oh, uh, yeah. not, <laughs> nothing like that did not occur did not occur <laughs> well probably why it was um you know i know i have no excuse for not being cogent <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but loquacious <laughs> yeah um okay so yeah and um maggie will be back again maggie sorry she couldn't join um i will be out in virginia in a couple of weeks yeah wedding, and we will be On sharing we will be sharing pictures, so hopefully everybody on Facebook is willing to see that.
1: Oh, and I'm sure gonna... everybody's waiting, and and <laughs> I know weddings are a lot of work. So, yeah, um, yeah quite understandable that Maggie's got to focus on that right now. Yeah. So uh, um, that'll be great. You'll have a wonderful time.
0: I think it's going to be epic. Maggie's known for her epic parties.
1: <laughs> is that right? That's <laughs> yes, nice. she absolutely is. But yeah, well, no. And, and the, before I sign off, can I again recommend to all your listeners... The book is goddess, the author is Callista Hunter, but it's really your faithful, uh, but modest, (laughs) self-effacing, humble podcaster, uh, Kristen. And I, I, young adult, I don't care what genre it is, really enjoyed the story very much. Really looking forward to the sequel.
0: Thank you so much, (laughs) Lena. And thanks, and and, uh, we should list one more time. Lona Manning, A Contrary Wind, A Marriage of Attachment, Rational Creatures, Yuletide uh, Collection, and Rogues and Rakes.
1: Yeah, the thing about Christina Boyd's anthologies is, like, maybe you might say, hey, I'm not into short stories. But it's a sampler mm-hmm. of a dozen or more Jaff authors. So if you get these, these anthologies, you'll probably discover some new favorite authors if, you are, if you're into Jaff. Bite-sized okay.
0: stories sometimes can seem like the only ones you can handle after work. You know, like I can't
1: be up until <laughs> four a.m. You know, I have to have something short and sweet. Yeah, that's another good argument for a short story. Okay, <laughs> so look forward to uh, to um, seeing you in, in Twitter and in cyberspace, Kristen. All right. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Luna. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Now.